If you take your Bibles and turn to John chapter 7. John chapter 7. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 9 together. In a message I've entitled this morning, Not Even His Brothers Believed in Him. John chapter 7, verses 1 through 9. So this week we jump back into our study of the Gospel of John together. In chapter 7, as a reminder where we've been in John 6, Jesus just finishes up His bread of life discourse in which He challenges the crowd who is following Him about their motivation to do so. They have come for more miraculous bread. And He says, He is the better bread that they should desire... And he reminds them that they must believe in him and that they do not believe because the Father has not uh, drawn them to him. And we saw at the end of John chapter 6, this causes many of them to become upset. They cannot accept these words and they do not follow him anymore. And after this, remember Jesus asks the disciples, his 12 men, um, will you leave as well? And Peter has that great confession. Where will we go? You are the one who has the words of eternal life. And you are the Holy One of God. And then, after this statement of belief, Jesus says, all of them do not believe, referring to Judas as the devil, as a devil. And so we come to our passage today in John's Gospel in which John follows his own course here, different than the other gospel writers, uh, helping direct us to his goal of belief in the Lord Jesus Christ. If you're able to, would you please stand with me as I read the Word of God aloud and you follow along. I'm going to read these first nine verses of John chapter 7. I'm reading from the ESV this morning. Under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, the Apostle John writes, After this, Jesus went about in Galilee, He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. For not even his brothers believed in him. Jesus said to them, My time has not yet come, but your time is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that it works, that its works are evil. You go up to the feast. I am not going up to this feast, for my time has not yet fully come. After saying this, he remained in Galilee. You may be seated. May the word of God in its Old Testament and New Testament reading, as you've heard it read aloud, be a blessing to you this morning. You join me once again in prayer. Father, by your same Holy Spirit who inspired these words in the original autographs, would you now illuminate our eyes and our hearts to an understanding of these truths, not simply for a knowledge that puffs up, but so, Lord, that we might be obedient, remembering this morning that our obedience is not a means by which we are reconciled to you, that is Christ's obedience and His righteousness that is imputed to us by which we are able to obey. We do so, Lord, to honor you and to worship you with our lives. And uh, Lord, 
Uh, We know that if we fall short, we can confess our sin, and you are faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Yet, Lord, we want to uh, uh, progress in our holiness, and so set us apart even more this morning, we pray, through this text, and uh, Lord, may we apply these truths in our hearts and lives. I pray that you would get me out of the way, continue to humble me, and Lord, we praise you and thank you for what we will study together this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. James Boyce, the great um, late pastor of 10th Presbyterian Church in Philadelphia, in his commentary on the Gospel of John, and and particularly this passage, uh, highlights the issue of time that is brought up here in this passage. Jesus speaks of his time in this passage, and essentially what he sees is the timing of God's plan in the life of the incarnated Son. Time is something in which we find ourselves as creatures. God, as the Creator, is outside of time. He is the Creator and is not subject to time. Time is actually subjected to Him. Yet, the reality of the Incarnation is that Christ in His humanity is subject to time. In one sense, we can say that Jesus is subjected to time in his humanity as any of us are subjected to time. Uh, Jesus, in the incarnation, is the God-man. He takes on the true human uh, nature. It's unfallen. It is not a sinful human nature, but it's a true human nature. So Jesus would grow tired and would need to eat and um, all of those true time-bound realities that we all face. So in that sense, the very God of the universe who created time steps into time. He who is outside of time puts on humanity that is subjected to time. And so in that real sense, Jesus is subjected to time as the God-man, as the incarnated Son. But we also remember in regard to time that Jesus is not on anyone else's clock, as it were, except for the timetable of the Trinitarian plan, God the Father's plan. We may think of the famous quote of Gandalf the Grey in The Lord of the Rings when Frodo exclaims that Gandalf is late. In reply, Gandalf says, A wizard is never late, nor is he early. He arrives precisely when he means to. In a more glorious and non-fictional way, Jesus in this passage exclaims that he is on task for the Trinitarian plan of redemption and that he arrives precisely when he means to. That's a part of the point of what we see here in this passage. And we'll see as his brothers push him to do something that is not within the timetable of God's plan, what their intention is or what it seems to be and the intention of others who are um, looking at Jesus and not receiving him. When we push into this text, we realize the reason that timing is being brought up as we state in our main point, and this is therefore you written on the back of your bulletin, or if you got the email and are watching on the live stream, see this main point there. There are only two options for those who have heard the message of Jesus. Receive him and all that he is, or reject him and wish him dead. There's only two options for those who have heard the message of Jesus. Receive him and all that he is, or reject him and wish him dead. This issue of time represents at least part of what uh, of mankind's response to Jesus, as we shall see in these three steps. 
forward in Jesus' mission. Three steps, we might say, closer to what he has come to do, to seek and to save those which are lost. To, to, to be reminded of John chapter 1, that light is coming into the world and, and that to, to those who receive him, he gives the right to be called the children of God. This, this mission that Jesus is on, three steps forward there. And the first is this, in verse 1, the Jews were seeking to kill him. The Jews were seeking to kill him, in verse 1. We begin with this phrase, after this, in in, uh, John 7, in verse 1. After this, Jesus went about in Galilee. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. This occurs, as I mentioned in our introduction, after the great bread of life discourse. Though not immediately, as we shall see. In this discourse, though, there were many who could not accept what Jesus was saying. And a great confession is made about Jesus by Peter, as we saw. Jesus was only at this point, though, walking about in Galilee. This is where he had been, as we saw. And he had left the region of Judea previously. If you just want to mark down a note to look up later, John chapter 4 and verse 1. We see that he leaves um, Judea. And now we see another reason why in this first verse. Most scholars agree that the occurrence here in chapter 7 in John uh, lands about six months after the bread of life discourse. Um, and so uh, John, again, sort of aiming for something a little bit different as he gives his gospel than Matthew, Mark, and Luke, uh, leaves out a section of Jesus's life that are covered in uh, Matthew and Mark, especially But he's driving at this idea of those who do not receive him, as we remember from John chapter 1. And we'll be reminded of that again this morning. But but what is it about those who did not receive him? What was their goal? What were they seeking to do? Well, it was the Jews seeking to kill him. He would not go about in Judea because the Jews were seeking to kill him. So Jesus has been ministering in the region of Galilee now for around six months. And and as I've stated before, this idea of the Jews, and and, and the way that John speaks of it here, it often refers to the religious leaders of the Jews, the scribes and the Pharisees. And and we've already seen where the plot for this murder of Jesus begins back in John chapter 5 and verse 18. So keep your finger there in in John chapter 7 and turn back a page for most of us into John chapter 5 and verse 18. Let's be reminded of what it says here. This was why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. So in other words, there was already this this bent towards wanting to kill Jesus. First and foremost, because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, that was their first motivation for that, but even more so because he was calling God his own father and what? Making himself equal with God. There is already this plot. They were already seeking to kill him. And this indicates that this is a desire and a plan that is ramping up more and more. As we shall see in the coming weeks, this becomes prominent in John's gospel. The reason we see Jesus dwelling in Galilee, the Galilee region, is not that he is running away from them, but for very different reasons. As we shall see, uh, he says it is not his time. 
There is a plan, and it includes his death, but, but now is not the time. And really, I think it's right to understand that when Jesus says something about this, he's not necessarily referring to his hour so much, that time of death, but the events that lead up to that, one of which is what we see when his brothers challenge him, is that he would continue to reveal himself as Messiah. It is not his time to stand up and declare quite yet uh, all of what he has been uh, hinting toward, if you will, in the previous ministry and miracles. But that time is but a step closer to his hour, if we understand the meaning of that. It uh, was not time for him to be crowned as king. In John chapter 6 and verse 15, uh, perceiving that they wanted to make him king, Jesus walks away from that. And it is not yet time for him to be revealed as Messiah. And it is not yet time for him to die. But there is a time for each one of these things. And it is on God's timetable, not on the Pharisees, not on his brothers, not on the crowds. As James Boyce states once again, one of the main points of this passage is the issue of timing. This continues to show that Jesus in the incarnation is submitting to the will of his Father and in so doing is marching toward the cross. It is not his time to go to the cross and all the things that are in accord with that leading to that that are in the eternal decree of God. It is in this context that we see Jesus' brothers Uh, see this as an opportune time to expose him. And that's what we see secondly. The second step here is this. His brothers are seeking to expose him in verses 2 through 5. His brothers are seeking to expose him. The Jews are seeking to kill him. His brothers are seeking to expose him. The opportune time for his brothers, as they see it, is the Feast of Booths, as we see in verse 2 of John chapter 7. The the Feast of Booths. Look at it again in verse 2. Now the Jews' Feast of Booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see your works that you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. The Feast of Booths, or of Tabernacles, is the feast that commemorates the wilderness wanderings. It happened five days after the Day of Atonement, or Yom Kippur, And each family would construct a booth or a a tabernacle and live in it for eight days. This was family camping, basically. They would go and put up a tent either on the roof of their true dwelling or out in the yard, and and they would dwell in tents. Why? Because in those wilderness wanderings, they did not have permanent homes. Uh, God did not have a permanent home. He, even His glory, dwelt in a tabernacle. And so they lived in tents. So this was a reminder of that. The, the wilderness wanderings uh, symbolized for them that they had been delivered from the slavery of Egypt, but because they did not believe the Lord, in many ways they re- rebelled against Him. They wandered for a generation, for 40 years in the wilderness, before they entered into the promised land. And this is the setting. This is what they are about to celebrate. And according to historians, it is the most popular feast of all Israel's feasts. So again, We talk about this being the opportune time for uh, Jesus' brothers to expose him. Why? So many would be there. This is a popular feast. It's it's opportune because 
uh, the world, as it were, would be right there. All the Jews would be coming to Judea to gather in Jerusalem to celebrate this feast together. And this brings, of course, to us another aspect that is theologically debated as we consider these brothers of Jesus. The question of whether or not Mary and Joseph had other children. The early church and the Roman Catholic tradition hold that Mary was perpetually a virgin. The problem here is the idea of him having brothers. Even some of the early reformers took issue with the thought of Mary having other children after Jesus. Calvin in his commentary explains that the understanding of brothers in that day could also have underneath that, uh, that meaning something along the lines of cousins or close relations. However, there is no doubt that Mary and Joseph produced half-siblings of Jesus clearly after Jesus was born. We, we remember the, the context of Jesus' birth. It says that Joseph did not know Mary. He did not have sexual relations with her before Jesus was born, but nothing barred them from that after that. And we see in the scriptures um, the names of Jesus' siblings, Matthew the Apostle and Mark as well. Uh, <clears throat> they name the list of his brothers. I think it's Matthew chapter 13 and verse 55. It says James, Joseph, or Joseph, Simon, and Judas, or Jude. The first and last in this list become very important to us, as we shall see. But let's pause for a moment and think about what is their plan. What is their plan of exposure? They uh, tell him to leave and go to Judea. Leave and go to Judea. And, and for what purpose? So that your disciples may see the works you are doing. For no one works in secret if he seeks to be known openly. If you do these things, show yourself to the world. Those who would be there gathered in Jerusalem, some lived there, others would be coming to, to participate in this feast. Go and make yourself known to the world. Uh, now, I think it's uh, S. Lewis Johnson who says, perhaps uh, they were intending to um, say to Jesus, look, you've had all these followers, the end of John 6, who have left you because you've said hard things. Uh, why don't you go to those who have left you and others who will arrive at this feast and, and show yourself to them. Do more miracles. Make yourself known. Uh, the idea here is that there is an opportunity for Jesus to really show off who he is. This activity, however, is not suggested with sincerity. His brothers thought he was crazy. Uh, Mark says this in his gospel. You don't need to turn there. You can scratch it down read it later. Mark chapter 3, verses 20 and 21 states, Then he went home, <clears throat> and the crowd gathered again, so that they could not even eat. So Jesus goes back to, back, back to Nazareth, and, 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 and the surrounding of his home, his um, place where his family lived, there were so many people they couldn't even eat. And when his family heard it, they went out to seize him, for they were saying, what? He is out of his mind. He is out of his mind. And we get an indication of their motivation here, for not even his brothers believed in him. So, you know, maybe if that phrase had not been there, we, we might think, well, maybe they really think that Jesus needs to go and show the world who he is. But that is not their intention. They don't even believe in him. You know, John is sometimes called the gospel of belief. This word believe comes up over and over and over again in, in John's gospel. 
So John is signaling something here by stating this. Jesus' own brothers do not believe in him. They do not buy into the fact that he is truly the Messiah, the Son of God, the Holy One, as Peter has confessed. Isn't it interesting that John puts this right after Peter's confession? And Jesus says, not even all of you who are following me still are true believers. One of you is a devil. And now John, in proximity to that, says, even Jesus' brothers did not believe in him. Uh, There was no one who had closer proximity to Jesus than his own family. I mean, the disciples had only spent, you know, three years in total with him. Here are his brothers who were raised with him. Their other brother, the the, the perfect brother, who, who never sinned. And they did not believe in him. In fact, they thought he was out of his mind. Do you remember what John says at the beginning of his gospel? Keep your finger in John chapter 7 and turn back to John chapter 1. Look at John chapter 1 and verse 9. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. He was in the world, and the world was made through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to his own, and his own people did not receive him. I mean, can there be any closer definition of coming to his own than those who were his brothers? And what does it say? What is John seeking to highlight here? That even his own brothers did not believe in him. And to use Jesus' own words, at this point in time, his own brothers were not being drawn by the Father to believe in him. The language that Jesus uses in John chapter 6. And so I think that the, gospel, uh, the Apostle John in his gospel here is highlighting the fact that proximity to Jesus does not guarantee that you are right with him. That you truly believe in him. That he has brought you into reconciliation with God. Now, clearly this does not continue to be the case. We know that at least James and Judas become believers in the Lord. Why? Well, they both write books in the New Testament, James and Jude. And what we come to know about James or or Jacob uh, is that he was one of the elders in the first church ever, the church in Jerusalem. In fact, in Acts chapter 15, as they're having this discussion about whether or not they should require Gentiles to be circumcised or not, In the original language, it's phrased like this. James stands up and says, I have decided. He was putting the final seal on this issue of whether or not Gentiles needed to be circumcised in order to be included in the church. What do we know about James? What do we know about Jude? Well, turn with me to James chapter 1. James chapter 1. That's a right-hand turn in your Bible from the Gospel of John if you're unfamiliar with the Bible. James chapter 1 and verse 1. What does James say? James, a servant, a, a slave, a doulos of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice that 
phrase, the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord Kurios, Old Testament Greek translation of the word Yahweh from the Hebrew. Jesus, his incarnated name, the one who came to the earth and put on humanity. Christ, the Messiah, the anointed one, the Holy One of God who stands in the place of sinners. James, his brother, recognizes that Jesus is not only his brother, but he is his Lord and Savior. Turn over to Jude chapter 1. Be careful as you're turning. If you blink, you might miss it. One chapter. Right before the book of Revelation. Revelation, not Revelations. Revelation. Uh, Jude 1. Jude, a servant, a slave of Jesus Christ. Oh, and by the way, brother of James. He couldn't even put into words that he is Jesus' half-brother. No, he's brother of James, right? Proximity there. But what is, the, what is the point this morning? Just one practical implication for us. You can turn back over to John now. Brethren, loved ones, let us never forget that those who reject Jesus today, we do not give up. We continue to proclaim the good news to them. Well, there's almost nobody harder for us to reach for the gospel than our own family. Some of you experience that in, in grievous and hard, very difficult ways. And that may not be your opportunity. God may use you to draw them to himself. You may decide that you cannot have those conversations very much anymore because it just raises ire. Pray for them. As God gives you opportunity to speak the gospel, do that. Pray that God would bring others into their lives that would uh, that He would use them to, to draw them to Himself. By the way, what is the event that could not be denied by either James or Judas that we would assume was the reason they came to faith in Christ? The resurrection. <laughs> the resurrection. They would have seen are known of the risen Lord. However, at this time, their intent is to expose Jesus, and likely beyond this, perhaps they understand the consequences of such exposure. It is likely no secret that those who are in opposition to Jesus wanted him dead. This raises another point. If Jesus is who he says he is, he is not only the Savior, but judge. He is not only the Savior, but judge, he has already stated that he, as the incarnated Christ, has been given the right to judge, and there is none who escapes his judgment. Sin, sins are either dealt with on the cross or dealt with in the final day of judgment. One thing we must remember is in our desire to bring the gospel to people, and even as we do that by loving them well, those who do not receive Christ as he is make up their own version of Jesus and God in order to make themselves acceptable to God. What do I mean when I say this? As you interact with people, as we even care for them, as in loving our neighbor as ourselves, and we proclaim the gospel to them, they in their own unregenerate state love their sin and hate God. 
So when we tell them that they're a sinner in need of God's grace, what they really want to believe is that they are okay. They therefore have to create a God and a Jesus who is also okay in their sin, with their sin. Jesus' brothers are showing that they do not care about who he is and what the signs he has performed point to. He is a threat to their lifestyle and they do not want to hear it. Justice is coming in the form of retribution for all who do not find justice at the cross. Our message is one of wrath and grace. It is one of bad news and good news. And it is only is the only means by which mankind can be reconciled to God and therefore reconciled to each other. But here we see Jesus' brothers seeking to expose him, likely with the intent that whatever happens to him happens and they are okay with that. Why? As we'll see here in a moment, Jesus says, you are like the world. You hate me and you love your sin. There are only two options for those who have heard the message of Jesus. Receive him in all that he is or reject him and wish him dead. Wish him out of your life. It's Psalm 2, isn't it? It's the, the nations that are raging against God and his anointed and saying, we're going to shake off their bonds. And Psalm 2 says that God looks down from his throne and laughs in derision at them. And then at the end, there's the hope. Kiss the son so that you may not receive the judgment that is coming. That's a paraphrase of Psalm 2. But Jesus is not interested in his brother's plans. He is interested in the Trinitarian plan for his incarnation. Let's look together at our final point. Number three, Jesus is continually seeking his father's will. The, the, the Jews are seeking to kill him. His brothers are seeking to expose him. But he is seeking the father's will. As we stated earlier, it's not Jesus' time. And this is what this explains here. My time, he says, verse 6, My time has not yet come, but yours is always here. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. My time has not come. Some say this refers to the time of his death. Others say it refers to the time of him going up to the feast. Either way, the issue is that Jesus in his incarnation is following the plan of the Father and not men. He then, though, says to them, but your time is always here. In other words, they are not required to do what he is going to do. They are, they are not required to have to um, go before mankind and proclaim that he is indeed the Messiah and then be put to death for it. This is further understood by what he says in verse 7. The world cannot hate you, but it hates me because I testify about it that its works are evil. The world cannot hate you because you are evil along with it. But it hates me as you hate me because I testify about it and you that its works are evil. That your works are evil. One thing we should understand from this is that our works should be separated from the world because their works are evil. Ours should be characterized by righteousness. Jesus later says to his disciples, and by way of example to us, that this is our plight. The world will hate us as it hated him. We come to the point again that if we are faithful to God and His Word and follow what Christ has said, we will not be loved by the world. They will construct their own God and their own version of Christ and want nothing to do with true biblical Christianity. 
It is an offense to their ver- the, the very truth here that our works are done by virtue of our union with Christ. And that we are seeking to do what, that which is righteous, which separates us from the works of the world that hates us. And that hated Jesus. Remember what Paul says? He says, I am filling up in my flesh the afflictions of Christ that still remain. Not because Jesus' sacrifice was not enough, but because those who had put him on the cross didn't get enough. So they will take it out on his followers. He then tells them, tells his brothers, you go up to the feast and he will remain for it is not yet his time. Therefore, he remained in Galilee, at least for a time. Now, one of the things we'll need to do is reconcile this with the fact that we see next that Jesus did go up to the feast after all. Some of your texts have the word yet. Uh, when he says it is not yet my time to go up, it's, that's not in the original manuscript or the best manuscripts. In brief, and we'll address this again next week, Jesus does not go up in the public way his brothers desired, but rather goes privately. And we'll see the interactions Jesus has with those at the feast next week and how to reconcile all this. But for now, Christian, know this. If you are in Christ, you are united to Him by the Spirit. And you have been called by God in Christ through the Spirit to live unto Him and to be about the will of God as Jesus was following the will of God. This is not an easy task if we look upon the world And their response to us, right? I mean, if we're, if we're concerned about, does the world love me or the world hate me? And we make that the kind of lens through which we look at things. We are going to be very concerned because, or we're going to compromise. But it is easier if we look to Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. When we're facing the ridicule of the world, We look to Jesus as our example of the one who endured mockery, even from his own family, and hatred, and endured the suffering of the cross so that we have our sins forgiven and our relationship reconciled to Father, Son, and Spirit. The world is not our final judge. Jesus is. And if you are in him, you will be found righteous, not because of what you have done, but because of what he has already done. Believer, rest in that today. Live for Him knowing that it is His will that you do so and that He has provided all you need to do so and that you will find the most joy in doing so. And then, we have the great joy of discipling one another, of coming alongside of one another and reminding each other of that truth. Fellowship Bible Church, we need to be in the practice of that with one another. That's why we have the body is to be saying, look to Jesus. Look to Him as the author and finisher of your faith. Who for the joy that was set before Him endured the suffering and the pain, Hebrews says. That is the path we are to walk. And we are to encourage each other in that. Lastly, for those who do not know Christ, who are in our midst here this morning or are listening in, may I call you today to not be like Jesus' brothers. Believe in who He is who he claims to be and what he shows himself to be and what he endures in the cross. A judgment is coming by the very one who has taken the judgment of sinners on the cross. Turn from your sin and trust in him.
Would you pray with me? Lord, thank you for the grace and mercy that you have shed upon us as those who are believers in the Lord Jesus Christ. May we live, Lord, according to your will, not, uh, Lord, in such a way as to think that we are earning anything from you, but in such a way as loving you with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and loving our neighbor as ourselves, especially beginning within the body and then extending into our community, proclaiming the gospel, reminding each other of the gospel. And let us rest in the finished work of Christ. And for those who do not know you, I pray that today would be the day that they would turn from their sin and trust in you. Lord, we trust you, that you are drawing men to yourself by your spirit and that our witness Our proclamation of the gospel is the means through your spirit by which you're doing that. We praise you and thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.